Hi family, it's Danielle here. This episode was originally recorded with Dustin in April of last year, 2021. Um, But a lot has happened since then. So there will be an update with Dustin and Jamie at the end of the episode. So be sure to stick around for the update and the grandpa story after the interview. Welcome to the Come Together podcast. We are your hosts, Danielle Adams and Liz Turner. We wanted to make a podcast that highlights individual family members so we could all get to know each other better. All right, everybody, welcome to the Come Together podcast. We've got Dustin with us here today, a very special guest. He's in America right now. So hi, Dustin. Hey, how are you guys? Great. Doing good. How about yourself? How are you feeling? Wow, we're covering like three states. I know. Yeah. Amazing. Only two time zones, though. Nevada, California, and Utah. Because you're in Utah right now, but you're not living in Utah. Yeah, where are you living these days? Yeah, I actually have been living in Tanzania with my girlfriend, Jamie, for... The last uh, little over six months now. Wow. Okay, so you moved during COVID, right? Right. Yeah. No, I, I moved out. Um, my job was kind of finishing up. And so I was like, you know, being here, stuck in my room, social distancing sucks. And I had intended to visit her in Italy another time or two before she left because she was doing some school in Italy. And then um, COVID happened and it happened in Italy first. So I was actually on the bleeding edge of this thing. I was able to kind of see it personally before all the rest of y'all were able to see it. Cause you know, there was basically like a month where Italy was freaking out and like us didn't carry it, you know, and then we caught up. So I was able to kind of see what went down before it happened. But yeah, it was actually interesting. Cause like I was visiting her in Italy and then, you know, I got off the plane and front page on the New York times was like, Bergamo, Italy has massive outbreak. And, and I was like, huh, I just flew out of Bergamo, Italy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I was a little freaked out that I might be like patient one in Alabama. But luckily, that didn't seem yeah. to happen. So, um, you know, I could have been the super spreader. But, you know, I, oh, no. you know, and that was actually in a time before people even knew what to do about it. So, you know, I, oh, yeah. Yeah. I would still go out a little bit. But I, you know, I did kind of recognize that, like, I could be a problem vector, you know, it was a weird thing. But anyway, I was supposed to go back in like a month or two, but that didn't happen because by that point, you know, I think Trump had said like, no European visitors. And Europe was like, oh, yeah, well, no American visitors. Take that. (laughs) (laughs) And so right back at you. (laughs) Right. There was no going back, especially into like Italy in particular. It's like there's no way I'm getting back there. So she was locked down there for a while. And then she eventually moved back and took her old job back in Tanzania. And uh, and it just seemed like. The only way we were going to get to see each other was me going out there. So, which also was a big hullabaloo because my passport was expiring. So I submitted it, you know, I mailed it in to get updated in like, it took like Mm -hmm. four months to get that processed, right? Because basically I got it off and then, you know, in the news pretty soon after that, you know, all government services are kind of shuttered for the foreseeable future. And so anyway, eventually that got processed in August sometime and I basically headed out beginning as a member or something like that. So I've been there for about six plus months. Wow. But That's awesome. Yeah, this is the first time I've been back since that. And partly it's because, you know, I'm just on like a visa thing where like a traveler visa. So you have to leave like oh. every three months or else they get kind of oh. mad at you. Oh, 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 oh. yeah. Um, and I've been stretching all the limits on the 
visa issues already to my consternation and stress. And so I decided just be easier to, uh, you know, make the full trip because I had like the other end of a round trip ticket to come back to the States. So I was like, I'll just come back. And, you know, there's some kind of, you know, affairs I need to settle in terms of like, you know, maybe selling my car and, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, do some taxes and just obnoxious things like that. That it's like, For sure. you know, be nice to handle that stuff. And, you know, and I guess my mom doesn't mind that I'm visiting too. So I was like, <laughs> I, yeah, just I think it. she probably doesn't mind it too much. <laughs> yeah. So I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be flying out on Tuesday and then I landed and I just, by kind of luck, Utah opened up to be able to allow like everyone 18 and over to get a shot. Yeah. And I was like, you know, well, I'm going to pretend like I'm from Utah. And <laughs> they which, don't care. Yeah, just I mean, get it's, vaccinated. It's kind of true. It's kind of not true. So, you know, because I've been yeah. getting my mail sent here since I left. So I have like things. So I brought all those things and brought my passport and didn't have my Utah driver's license. That's not a thing I have. And went to the place and I was like, I'm ready with all the lines I'm going to say if they question. And they're like, you have, you have the consent form? Yes. Do you have the official sign up thing? Yes. And they just ran me through and I was poked. So it was good. Boom. It was easy. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. Anyone could do it. So oh, it yeah. nice. that's very cool. But I then after that, so easy. That's nice. you know, I thought that since I had COVID that I'd be able to uh, just kind of get one shot and stick to my original schedule. But they're like, nope, two shots. It's like, well, what if you had it before? I heard that the CDC thinks it's fine to, and they're like, nope, two shots. It's like, okay, <laughs> whatever. And so anyway, okay. um, right. So I decided at that point, I was like, well, you know, it'd be nice to get back to Tanzania pretty soon, but, but yeah. mom, I'm going to have to get that second shot. And she was like, oh, so you have to stay an extra two and a half weeks. Boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. She was pretty happy. So, so do you have stuff in Alabama? that you're still dealing with like is your car or did you have a house in alabama or i was just renting but you know um, yeah i have my stuff in storage but it's pretty cheap so i think i'll probably just keep it there and then i you know let my friend borrow my car but apparently like pretty soon after i left it with him the alternator broke so it's just been like taking up space in his so suddenly it turned from this big solid i was doing into a big solid (laughs) hunk of junk sitting in his Anyway. And now he's doing you the favor by storing it, right? Yeah, now no, he's doing the favor, so that doesn't, that's not that great. So, you know, I, I might just sell it off because, you know, it's kind of an old car anyway, so it might be time for the next thing. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. It's nice as you don't have to, like, there's no rush to, you know, work those things out because you're still going back to Tanzania, right? After your right. stay here. Yep. Nice. You mentioned this girlfriend of yours, Jamie. And how she was going to school in Italy. How did you two meet if you're in Alabama and she's in school in Italy? Uh, we met through OkCupid. Cool. Okay. Which still doesn't make sense to some people. But basically, um, <laughs> I originally was doing what most normal people do, right? Which is just kind of like you live in Birmingham, so you search in Birmingham. And anyway, um, that just didn't really work out for me. I kind of exhausted the pool of Birmingham people I was interested in or that were interested in me. I don't know how it worked. You know, he said, she said. (laughs) So anyway, um, you know, and I I wasn't really like super gung-ho about settling down in Alabama anyway um, for a range of reasons. You know, like, you know, I feel like a continual struggle has just been kind of like uh, I grew up on the West Coast and somehow I just don't end up 
west of the even the Mississippi, you know, much less the Rocky Mountains, you know. <laughs> yep. Even Mississippi would be something, but you know, I can't quite get there. So <laughs> keep getting pulled east until the east becomes Tanzania, apparently. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just yeah. kept going. <laughs> yeah, I just kept going. It's really, really far east. <laughs> Hey, you've you've lived a lot of places. Let me see if I can get this right. You live in Washington, South Carolina, Alabama, Singapore. A lot yeah, of I'll just go through I'm in order. I'm missing some. Yeah, so I was born in Hawaii, right? Oh, right, right. I didn't know that. <laughs> and then people were like, "What's Hawaii like?" And I was like, "I can't tell you. I moved five days later, but whatever." <laughs> you really have been on this trek east, <laughs> Hawaii, then Washington. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So in order, I think it's Hawaii, and then I think my parents did a couple months stint in Utah, um, and then Idaho for five years, then Alaska for three years, where you know we would actually we bumped into the. The Robs up there a couple times around Fairbanks, if I remember correctly, which wow. very vague, very vague memories, but there's some little bits of that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and then is Washington for the first time. My dad took a job at Microsoft at the time. And then, uh, 10th grade or 11th grade, um, my dad decided just to uh, take a job in Singapore with Microsoft. So we moved there for. But I was there for a year, like most of the family stayed out an extra year, but I wanted to finish up, um, finish up high school with my buddies. I came back for, I think, junior year. Mm -hmm. So back to Washington and then off to college. So that was in Washington, D.C. And then grad school was in Champaign, Illinois, which I'd never even really heard of before I ended up in Champaign, Illinois, but two hours south of Chicago. So I was there for a while and then was at Wake Forest University in North Carolina. So not South Carolina, but North Carolina. Oh, I said South. Yep. Okay. Big difference. You know, (laughs) they have uh, different kinds of barbecue in those two places and it's very important to keep them straight. So (laughs) (laughs) you can tell I've never been to either, but I'm sure they're (laughs) No, I think it's something like vinegar based versus mustard based or some weird thing. I forget. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and then after that it was off to alabama and i've been there the years just keep creeping up it's like five years now and but i just left and now i'm in tanzania and um yeah it's really up in the air like you know i'm applying for some jobs um in the states and jamie's encouraging me to look at some jobs in europe and she's kind of doing the same um so she's open to moving out of tanzania too it sounds like yeah she's open to stuff right cool yeah i mean she she grew up a fair amount in england so she's kind of experienced with that kind of thing and right now she's working at like an ngo that um i think that the danes are involved in so a little bit of amazing family connection there yeah hey right yeah so um so anyway yeah she She's not opposed to, you know, checking out Europe or probably anywhere else. I think we're kind of on the same page with that as long as as long as we have like viable jobs set up and right and so on. So anyway. Oh, yeah. So to go back to the earlier question, how did I even meet? Right. So I had my thing set to Birmingham and then that wasn't working out. So then at some point I was visiting a friend in Atlanta and um, and I was there for like three or four weeks. So I decided to check out the women of Atlanta. And so mm-hmm. I was doing that yeah. and I went on a couple dates and they'd be like, so like, where are you living? And they expected me to say like, oh, East Atlanta or, you know, Cabbage <laughs> Town or some neighborhood around Atlanta. And I was like, yeah, uh, I live in Birmingham. And then their next question would be like, so what are, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> 
And so it's like, why, why are we doing this then? So that's basically like a deal breaker for some people, you know, even though yeah, yeah. I thought things are going well. So I was like, all right, well, screw this. I'm setting my preferences to anywhere. So everyone knows what the deal is. <laughs> and, you know, like I said, at that point, I wasn't really super attached to my job. So actually... I was chatting in with one girl in China for a couple of weeks and some other things, mm-hmm. crazy stuff. But um, eventually, you know, paired up with Jamie. I don't really know exactly how that happened, but um, we started chatting and it just clicked right away and did video chats. And, you know, I was like, yeah, this feels really good. So it'd be nice to see if we can make this work. And so I think like, you know, about two years ago or something, um, well, two Halloweens ago or two Thanksgivings ago, mm-hmm. one of those times. I made the trek out for about a little over a week to Tanzania and we met up and went to Zanzibar for most of that time. And, you know, it was great. So, you know, I was like, we can, we can do this thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So a little unusual, but you know, I just felt that I had like the flexibility with my career to give it a, give it a go. I'm going to try to make this work. I have several friends who have actually gotten married through the app OkCupid. Like California's huge, so it's like, oh, you can find anybody, but everyone that I know struggles, so they actually do widen the pool. It's it's nice to just be able to reach out. I mean, the technology's there, like why right. not just utilize it? It's actually really helpful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely, so. right. Yeah, Yeah, I'm in that I think there's downsides <laughs> to it too. Like, you know, I've heard of big cities and stuff where, you know, the dating pool is enormous that people kind of can't settle down because you know, there's just like plenty of fish kind of issue. So they're like, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, they might not invest too much because it's like, yeah, if there's any friction at all, just go on to the next one because yeah, people exactly. are lined no up commitment. around, you know, around the block. It's hard not to be picky if you feel like I got a buffet. I can have whatever I want. <laughs> I yeah, can exactly. take whatever I want. I'm going to be very picky. Whereas if yeah. you're like in a small town and it's like, well, you know, you're not missing too many teeth and this kind of stuff. Let's try to make this work. Let's make it work. No. You got it now. You got the ones that count. I guess we can make this work. I um, love it. So Zanzibar is like, what, is it like white beaches and just gorgeous? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. So we've only gone to kind of like two or three main areas of it. And so if you're coming from Dar, you're probably going to take the ferry to get there. You can You can fly there too, but... It's basically like a two-hour ferry ride or something. And so then you get there and you'll get plopped off in Stonetown. That's pretty cool, walkable little city with lots of good restaurants and things to do. They have a island called, um, I think it's called, I was going to say it's Turtle Island, but I think it's actually called Prison Island. It used to be a prison, oh. <laughs> but now it's just like overrun with yeah. huge, enormous turtles and so that was pretty cool. Oh, wow. You can go up and feed them lettuce wow. and stuff, which is pretty satisfying. Yeah. So there's that. And then pretty much what you do from there is you get like a, like you rent a a guy to taxi you around to wherever you want to go on the island. The island, you can, I think you can probably get to anywhere you want on the island within two hour drive. It's not a huge island. So, um, so what you'll do then is you'll just take a cab or a taxi guy and, um, like we've been to both like the northwestern part for one trip. We went there and stayed on a beach there, um, which was pretty fun. And then did like another trip to like the eastern part of the island. Um, you know, they have kind of different beaches. So the one on the western is kind of like away from the ocean. So it's a little quieter in terms of like not as big of waves and not as choppy and stuff. And 
Um, yeah. yeah, I like both of them. So oh, okay, cool. the rest of the island, once you get away from like these tourist spots are like really pretty poor. So mm-hmm. some of my favorite things actually were just to, you know, watch what we were driving past when we were getting to and from the resorts. Cause it's just kind of interesting to see the way yeah. people live and that kind of thing. So, you know, eventually wherever you're going, you'll eventually run out of like paved roads and, and then it can get pretty gnarly. It just like, you're basically like off-roading and the first first trip we did like we got to this place and the car just kind of broke down after hitting one too many potholes or something and luckily we were like 10 minutes away from where we needed to be so we were able to just kind of like flag down someone else to take us the rest of the way to where we were going but yeah oh my god i mean i actually think that's pretty normal just there's these places where westerners or tourist travelers kind of go and that's like really developed and then the rest of the country you know maybe not doing so hot so that kind of thing yeah, I go to Puerto Vallarta a lot, and that's kind of the way it is. Like, closer to the resorts and the beaches, it's, like, really nice. Everything's new. And and then you, like, literally drive 15 minutes outside, and it's, like, people don't even have roofs on their home. Like, it's falling apart. It's really sad. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, it's kind of that way wherever you go and so um, yeah. in the country. And so and that's one thing I haven't liked too much about traveling and a couple of the places I've been, like Peru and uh, Turkey mm-hmm. and some parts of Tanzania too is, you know, it, like you kind of stand out. You're clearly not local in uh, Tanzania. You're called Mzungu. That kind of just means like, um, it doesn't quite mean white. It just means like kind of not from here, basically. It's my understanding. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you can actually be a rich black international guy and be Mzungu as well. So it's really all opportunity. <laughs> 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 yeah. So you just kind of, you know, you'll just have people trying to get money from you different ways and that kind of thing. So yeah. anyway, it happens. So, a, oh yeah, go ahead, Elizabeth. I was just going to say, I have a few questions about Africa and like living in Tanzania. I didn't know anything. So I did a quick little Google search and apparently like Mount Kilimanjaro is in Tanzania, which is like the tallest mountain in Africa. Have mm-hmm. you had a chance to like go see it or anything? Uh, I have a picture close to it. I didn't get super close, mm. but yeah, last year, Jamie and I, went on safari so <gasps> that's out in serengeti but yeah. serengeti is pretty close to kilimanjaro so like you fly mm. into the same airport arusha to go to either one and um so we did the we did the serengeti thing this time and um and that's in kenya no a lot of it is but not all of it so mm-hmm. not yeah. all of it. some of it's in tanzania it's, it's a couple places you know the uh, wildebeest don't care they'll just go through both of them <laughs> they just go anywhere they don't have they their don't visas passport. or passports or nothing they just <laughs> right they do what they want yeah exactly they do that fine <laughs> so we did like uh ngorongoro crater and serengeti and um another one or two of the big parks that are nearby so yeah it's it kind of crazy because you know like the first <laughs> it's like a five-day thing but like the first day you're like oh zebras and you know little little pumbas you know whatever those are called <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like all these things and you're like snap a dozen pictures of them and and then and then like three days later or something you're like ah there's 400 zebras there's a bunch of pumbas whatever <laughs> novelty just, wears off you're like okay i've seen it right <laughs> yeah you know so we haven't done kilimanjaro yet but it's something i'd like to do because uh tanzania as it happens to be i discovered that if you 
are living in some place that's like virtually on top of the equator, it's pretty hot. So who knew? So anyway, <gasps> yeah. Oh. But you can climb up Kilimanjaro and suddenly it gets cool. So that's what I need to do. I feel like I need to cool off. I need to climb this mountain to cool off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So what's been like different about living in Africa? Some things you didn't expect because you'd visited before you moved out there. But was there anything like that surprised you now that you're living out there? I don't think I was like too surprised in some ways because I had done some traveling. Like growing up, we did live in Singapore. So I was kind of used to right. being sort of a, a minority, right? With a mm-hmm. more of like a Chinese and Malaysian population there. And then I traveled to Peru um, for about right. a month you know, maybe about 15 or 20 years ago or something. and You climbed uh, up to Machu Picchu, right? Yeah, I did the Machu That's Picchu so cool. thing. That's so cool. Yeah, so did that and um, went to Turkey. So, you know, I've, I've been in places where I'm kind of a little fish out of water and stuff like that. You know, yeah. it's still, still kind of jarring in some sense because, like, there aren't that many people that speak English in um in Tanzania. And I'm in Dar es Salaam, which is, like, the most international cosmopolitan city in the country Mm. so it's like where all the embassies are and all this that and the other thing um maybe not all of them but a lot of them are there and so you know that takes a little bit of getting used to and i i think uh you know the first month or so that i was there i just had some concerns in the sense of like jamie was telling me these stories of like you know people that would be walking down the street with their backpack and then a car would pass by and a guy would pop out the window and like grab their backpack and rip them off them. And if you held on, they would just drag you for as long as you held on. And <gasps> oh. and so she told me enough of these scared straight stories that like I kind of like wandering around like. <laughs> <laughs> Always looking behind you. <laughs> right. But, you know, I've, I've gotten more comfortable there. I think like at this point now I'll, you know, we, we live in a, a neighborhood where I, you know, I'll, I'll jog a couple times a week and I've gotten comfortable enough to take my phone on my person and you know mm-hmm. jog to that so I can listen to podcasts like like yours while I'm jogging. Oh, mm. so honored. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so um yeah, so I, I've gotten more comfortable there. Actually over over the winter break I actually had like an opportunity to take some Swahili lessons. I was taking some of those um like I actually was like waking up every day at like seven in the morning and going to this place next door to the house we were renting on Airbnb. And it was like a Swahili school. And um, yeah, it was really cool. So you know, cool. I enjoyed that a lot, but I actually, you know, since then I've been like keeping up a daily streak on Duolingo. And I actually feel that despite having a 70 day streak on Duolingo, I actually know less Swahili than I did <laughs> coming out of Moana. <laughs> <It's like, laughs> It's just not the same. So I think I, whatever whatever I'm doing to pick up Swahili is not doing it. So I need to up my game. That's really cool. I've always thought it'd be so interesting to learn a different language, but also so difficult. And I think that's way cool that you, you get to be immersed, even though that sounds like there's a lot of different languages. You're still immersed with like Swahili. Yeah. So you're learning it there, which is really cool. I hear that helps a lot. People say there's this like critical window for learning languages and I kind of don't believe that to some degree. Like that might be kind of true mm-hmm. that kids' brains are just more plastic and this kind of stuff. But I think that really <laughs> Mormon missionaries seem to be able to pick up things pretty quickly. And Oh, yeah. And I, I think kind of the trick is just that there's this thing that happens after you get into like fifth grade or so, right? Like I've heard that before that kids will kind of like draw and scribble and they don't really care. But then after about fifth grade... 
this little social comparator comes on and it's like, man, my drawings suck compared to Jimmy's or, you know, Stacy's or whatever. Mm. So they become a little more ashamed of the, you know, the crappiness of what they're doing. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, but, you know, I've, I've had like a, a roommate of mine I really kind of respected in a way because he was picking up new hobbies all the time. And, you know, I was kind of silently judging his like early performances, right? Because they're just not, mm -hmm. anytime you just start something, it's going to be pretty bad. But, oh, yeah, right, absolutely. But that's what you need to do to learn is you just kind of do it and it kind of sucks. And you, if you have yeah. like a critical eye, you know, not so critical that you're not doing it, but if you just kind of get it out there and then you, you know, that's how you get better at it. But you have to do kind of what the um, writers call like crappy first drafts, right? Like you just have to spill it out on the page yeah. and get it out there and then yeah. you refine it. I think the problem for me with Swahili has been like, like, I know it's so bad. So I just like, you know, I'm like, I'm going to restaurants and stuff with Jamie and, and then I'll just say like, I'll take two of these hamburgers, please. No, I don't, order, <laughs> I don't do that. But I don't think you're ordering hamburgers. <laughs> no, nah, maybe not. So anyway, so Jamie will say like, that was a perfectly good opportunity to practice some Swahili. And I was like, yeah, but it would have been bad. And so oh. you just have to get past it. And so. One thing I've yeah. thought could be kind of like a, a way out of that. This is my language service that I'm proposing for anyone that wants mm. to get rich and famous. What you do is you basically connect people like me to little six-year-olds, right? And that speak the language fluently because six-year-olds don't care, you know? No. <laughs> yeah. no. Let them be the teachers. Yeah. You know, I actually think that'd be really helpful, right? And so totally. I think part of it is just kind of like making it so you're not embarrassed to kind of like do your bad performances and they can help you out. So anyway. So you you have that adventurous bone. Have you, do you think that came from moving around a lot? Have you always just been really into the outdoors or like how did you get into that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, in some ways I don't, I don't think that I'm um, that adventurous in a way. Like I'll do it, but you know, like my experience after Peru, like I, I went there and that was like the first time I traveled alone. That was like a year or two after, after Turkey. And in Turkey, mm -hmm. like, I was traveling with my high school friend and, you know, she was very interested in learning Turkish and Arab culture. And actually she met her husband on that trip. So that was pretty neat. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it was neat. Um, but, you know, when I went to, when I went to Peru, I was like literally on my own for like a week or two of that. Like I went there for about four weeks and, you know, the first week I was like with a friend I knew from grad school, you know, she kind of showed me around uh, Lima. But after that, mm -hmm. I went to um, the launching point to Machu Picchu. I can't remember the name of the city mm -hmm. right now. Um, but anyway, I was there. And for the first couple of days, I was actually like hanging out with a friend of Cassie's actually like she kind of set us up because both of us wanted to go to Machu Picchu. But after yeah. after that, um, her friend left. And so I was just like the last week and a half or something on my own. And, um, you know, and I, I was kind of proud of that in some ways because I would like, it's like, well, I'd like to meet some people. So I'd go to a I'd go to a bar and I, um, you know, just like mm -hmm. sit down at the bar and start talking to the person that was next to me. And I met some interesting people from that. And I was like, you know, every time I did it, I met someone interesting and, and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, so I came out of that trip and I was like pretty proud of myself for being able to do the travel alone thing. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, I'm proud of myself, but there's also really a lot of work and stressful. So I don't want to do it again. <laughs> necessarily yeah, so i'm with you i imagine it would be like i know i can do it but don't need to do it all the time so yeah so in some ways i'm kind of looking forward to you know i've been kind of craving like being in a place where i can put my roots down and settle down mm -hmm. so um 
you know, I don't really know where that'll be. It could be even in Dar es Salaam or something, Tanzania. Uh You know, it could be somewhere in the States. You know, I I think we're probably still, you know, probably two or three years away from being able to have like a really firm idea of where this place could be. Because I'm thinking about like trying to go back to grad school to get some extra credentialing Mm. and stuff like that, um, maybe. And Jamie's talking about training. And so, you know, those would be things that kind of like kick down, settling down in some place for a little bit longer. But, you know, I'd love to be in a place where, you know, I'm expecting to be there for years and years and can, you know, buy the house and, you know, get the dog and, you know, all that. (laughs) Jamie loves cats and dogs. And I'm like, uh, out of the two, I choose dogs. So, (laughs) yes. Dogs. We like cats too, but yeah, totally. We have dogs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's incredible to hear that you were interested in going back to, to get more schooling, possibly, when I'm like, you've done so much schooling already. You've gotten a PhD, which is it's awesome. So, what that's something I also wanted to really talk to you about. I'm very curious. You got a PhD in psychology, right? Mm hmm. Just want to make sure I'm getting everything right. Um, yeah, exactly. What got you on the path of psychology? Like, were you always interested in that when you were younger? Or was that something that you found you were interested in college? Like, when did you kind of learn that that was something that you were passionate about? Yeah. I, um, yeah, I don't really know exactly where it started. I know that I was, like, subscribing to Psychology Today even in high school. Like, I was getting that magazine. <laughs> and I... Um, I love it. I still subscribe. I remember... <laughs> I don't really remember too many of the issues, but I remember there was one about like twin psychology and how you can end up with like twins that never met one another. They're like maybe adopted to different families and then they reunite and they find out that they have like all these weird quirky things in common Mm -hmm. with one another. Um, And so, you know, I was kind of just interested at that point of like, you know, nature versus nurture type issues in terms of like where our personalities come from. Yeah. You know, also I think like the class that, was kind of the most memorable to me from high school was uh, an animal behavior class. But basically that was like a Darwinian evolution type class. Mm-hmm. The The teacher was my chemistry teacher and he was just doing this other thing where he was teaching animal behavior. And I remember like the first day of class and, you know, he was saying like, we'll do a lot of things in this class, but like the thesis of this class, the main idea is that animals don't do anything out of the goodness of their heart. Like everything they do is for their own benefit. And so everything Mm -hmm. we see in animals, we're trying to understand for how is it benefiting the animal, right? Um, In -hmm. terms of like passing on its genes. And that was really interesting to me. And I was like interested in altruism and this idea of like people doing things out of the goodness of their heart. And so the thesis of the class is like, there is no altruism, right? (laughs) And so that, you know, so that was kind of like a thing going through my head. And I was just very, you know, I just kind of remember that question kind of rattling around in college too. That was kind of the question I was interested in: is how do we, how do we make people nicer? How do we make them more cooperative mm-hmm. and understanding towards one another? Um, I would say of like all the issues, that's still the one that gets to me the most. And I'm just constantly like digesting media with like that question in mind as to like, you know, how did we get to this point where we're basically you know just couple uh, sparks short of a civil war? Or, yeah. 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 I mean, some people take that very seriously and I think that's right. You know, so um, it's crazy. So and what what can be done to kind of counteract that kind of stuff? Right. You know, well, and I know thing. like um, you you focused um, for a while. I don't know if it was your research or, or what, but you focused on like personality and maybe that goes hand in hand with like kindness. But mm-hmm. 
I remember like you had a quote to quote you back your own words. Really? Um, <laughs> you said your perceptions of others reveal so much about your own personality. And I, I've been ruminating on that a lot because at least in my experience, like the more angry people are towards me, usually it's like on stuff that they feel they're lacking themselves. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if like you just see in other people what you're nitpicking on your own self. Maybe I'm not. Yeah, no, sense, I mean, but... um, yeah, so this kind of altruism, how to make people nice has been a question of, I've been interested in, but also, you know, just uh, more generally trying to understand like psychological processes that make us who we are. Um, you know, so a lot of my ideas that I've been interested in are kind of that there's like an external reality, which is real, right? And then there's kind of like an internal reality where we take the things that are real out there and, you know, we kind of interpret them in different ways and we have to kind of construct it. And we never actually respond to the real world. We only respond to like our little inner worlds. It's the only thing you can do. Mm -hmm. You can't respond to the Mm -hmm. outer world except through how it's interpreted. And so, um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're kind of blowing my mind right now, but I'm like trying to wrap my head around what you just said. Okay, keep going. So I think the time that I was writing that paper, there was, you know, Simon Cowell was a big, big deal on mm-hmm. American Idol. And, you know, you'd have like Paula Abdul and she'd be like, oh, wow, you're so great. That's amazing. And Simon Cowell was like, I don't know what she's smoking. That was terrible. Right. And <laughs> and it was just like, you know, and I've, I've seen people that kind of like move to a place and they're like, oh, my gosh, like the people in this town, terrible, terrible. And then they move to the next place and it's like, oh, my gosh, people in this town are terrible. And, you know, it's like, maybe it's not the people. Maybe it's you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, very yeah. much Oh, so. my goodness. And, and that, you know, and that then, is, yeah. And then there's also people that are the opposite, right? And it's like, you know, the people here are so understanding and nice. And um, and the interesting thing is, you know, I, I think it actually gets back to some of the stuff I'm talking about with language, right? Where it's like, if you kind of go around and you're interpreting like everyone is being very judgy towards you and harsh and mean, mm-hmm. like you're not going to put yourself out there. And so, you know, if you have this perception of other people as like, you know, kind and trustworthy and interesting and kind of tolerant and, you know, tolerant of your little mistakes and stuff, like it becomes a lot easier for you to kind of put yourself out there. There's actually some theories of psychology, like attachment theory that are kind of about this, like your belief that others are generally good natured. Right. You know, it's kind of like, are you willing to give people the the benefit of the doubt, like the kind of charitable interpretation of why they did things, or are you going to automatically assume the worst, right? So it's kind of about that. And if you have like the charitable views of people, then it becomes so much easier to go to new places and meet new people and, you know, get them to know you and, you know, all these sorts of things that are kind of an important part of like making friends and allowing yourself to have like intimate you know, emotionally intimate relations with people and all these sorts of things. And so, you know, to me, that just, it always struck me as kind of one of these, like, you know, I've been interested in these idea of like the psychological knobs or levers you can pull to really make big changes right. in people's personalities. And I think this is like one of the big ones, right? Like if you can just kind of really convince people at like a deep level that like people are relatively good natured, um, then you can really have almost like a sea change in their personalities. Right. Um, and, and right. actually like, I think some research yeah. kind of bears this out that if you look at like some of the major personality disorders that people in my field care about, like avoidant personality and which is basically just like extreme shyness mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. different ones that are kind of related to paranoia and stuff like that. Like basically those are about beliefs that other people are not to be trusted. And, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. 
the interesting thing is often like these beliefs that um, people are not to be trusted have, you know, they're true for some people. So it's kind of situational, right? Like some people are correct to think that the government is watching them. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, Turns but, out they you know, it's the paranoid. sort of belief that really like causes you to close off and not be very open to people. So. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, I feel like at least within my own self, it's like all a balancing act because I definitely like, if I start to feel like at my new job, you know, new, not really new anymore, but like people weren't very charitable towards me and my learning, I would like shut down hard, like just not open up at all. I almost to the point of being like an avoidant personality, just very, very shy. And then others who were more like charitable, I was almost too, you know, open and vulnerable. And <laughs> I feel like I'm very uh, motivated by the external sometimes, you know? Yeah, no, know. that's interesting. There's a couple different ways that you can get to the point of being really open. And one is to think that people will be kind and, and accepting and stuff. That's one way to do it. And the other way some people do it is to be like, yeah, people are going to be kind of rejecting, but who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The who um, cares is so hard. <laughs> Right. You know, you just don't have to care about them. So, yeah. And that, that I think is a little bit of a darker way to get there because you can be like, oh, these people suck anyway. Right. So, so it's not, it's not always like a good way to get to that point of just speaking your mind. Um, There's a balancing act. I feel like uh, those two methods are, uh, me and my husband are one of those. I'm very like, the world is so kind and everybody loves it. Like, I think it's a bunch of care bears. Whereas Trayson's more of like, no, I think they're judging me. I just don't care. (laughs) <laughs> yeah he just is more of the like just don't care about other people's opinions because it doesn't matter what they think of you and so it's funny because we both like in a lot of situations where we're out in the world and stuff we we're trying to convince the other to see it our way but it's mm-hmm. yeah no, I, <laughs> or whatever you know i think that this is actually you know um you don't want to make broad sweeping generalizations but i think like it is a little bit of like a male typical and female typical kind of sure so you know like um and it has real implications so like you know they talk about like the pay wage gap between men and women and you know i think part of it is because like men are kind of like well i'm gonna go ask for that raise and maybe they'll say no but who cares and the women are maybe like not ready to have that that no shoved in their face and and take it so they just won't ask in the first place right so mm-hmm. um so to some extent there is you know I, I think it's a strong enough of a tendency that it has you know i mean obviously the gender wage gap is a lot it's a lot, about a lot more than just not women asking right. for it you know there's a lot more to it yeah I've, I've been right. there complicated <laughs> right it's a complicated yeah i mean issue you know, for sure there's multiple multiple strands to pull on that one but i think right some small part yeah. of it is i'm with you though is that kind of like, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll talk about that with like assertiveness training and stuff like that. But um, so it's just oh, yeah. a small part of it. But I, I do think that it's a little bit of a, a general, broader gender tendency that kind of oh, yeah. is what Elizabeth is talking about. <laughs> right. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Well, another Absolutely. thing I wanted to ask you, Dustin, is so you have been published a lot. And I tried to figure out exactly how many like articles you've published. I found somewhere it said like 40 that might be outdated. What's the number currently? Do you even know? Do you even keep track of that? Yeah. If you look on my Vita, I think I list 75 right now. So. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. A lot more than 40. Wow. Okay. So this will be a hard question, but is there any particular article that you're like most proud of or is that difficult? Because now there's 75. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> my favorite article is one that doesn't, um, that people in my field haven't really found too much 
And I think it might have to do mm. with this part of the way the article starts. But um, yeah, the article is basically about like how we can kind of, you know, I think it might be a little more inside baseball and not as generally interesting as the one we were talking about before. But for me, I think it's a really important issue about like how we can see someone do something and on the basis of what we see them do, it gives us some guidelines as to like how we can judge what they did as like a kind action or a responsible action or an assertive action. It gives us like rules for saying like, you know, how we can count things that we did as instances of being kind and assertive and all this kind of stuff. So it's, uh, you know, I think it's like really important to my field and my colleagues haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> but um, I think part of the problem in terms of why it didn't get, um, didn't get a bigger response is because it starts with this weird thing where for the first page and a half, I'm talking about like the introduction to the Star Trek reboot. <laughs> oh and, my god! Um, yes, and... I have to read this now. <laughs> so it's not even about Captain James T. Kirk; it's about his father. <laughs> oh it's like my uh, so. Anyway, it's about a uh, yeah. So basically, you know, the idea is that for like only about like, four or five minutes in the movie, we see Captain Kirk's father, George George Kirk. I can't remember his middle name, but anyway. Um, yeah. And he does this thing, right, where he gets appointed to be captain and then these aliens are being really aggressive. And so he gets all the members of the ship off and then he very heroically, like, you know, the autopilot is broken. So he has to steer it into the enemy ship himself. And so he does this kind of kamikaze thing to buy time to save everyone else. Right. So they never pause it and be like, this is how we're going to show you that James T. Kirk's father is noble and really brave and really you know, loyal and follows orders to the T, even in difficult mm -hmm. instances where he has to give his own life to do so. So, you know, all those kind of like honor and heroism. And so it doesn't tell you those things. And so the idea for that is kind of like, it would actually be kind of like related to the sort of stuff that Nick does, right? Like, it's about like showing, not telling, right? Like writing is bad when you say like, um, so what's this person like? Oh, you know, our protagonist is heroic they're attractive <laughs> and they just describe a bunch of adjectives it's better to just, lazy writing yeah. yeah what you want to do is show it through their actions right that's how your personality right. is revealed and so so that's what the article is about is to kind of say like you know how we can learn about people's personalities through their actions and what are kind of like some of the translation tools for yeah. that kind of thing yeah so you know i think it's like probably the most important article i've written but my colleagues don't necessarily agree but you know to me <laughs> To me, uh, give it time. Know, give it time. It kind of has led me to some of the places I am now, right? Where, like, you know, I, I just kind of feel that a lot of times, a lot of the papers that I've written in the past, like you do this normal thing where you design a study and maybe you do some sort of manipulation and you kind of like put participants in this situation and see how they respond. And and this article for me kind of like opened up a whole new way of thinking about what we can use for data. Right. So you can say like movies are data. Like I can say like why is it that people understand. This character's, you know, personality shift in Breaking Bad from not them telling you, like, I'm becoming increasingly bad, but you see them melting people and acid and other things where it's yeah. like, okay, this person's taking a dark turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, Walter, you know, so, so, you know, it kind of like opens up like the sorts of things that you're using for learning about people's personalities to like, I'm especially interested now in like documentaries where you see people do these crazy things and you're trying to say like, how is it that this person was able to pull it off? Like, how did they get in this headspace where they even thought that was a good thing to do? Or how did that occur to them? Or how did they reach that point? You know? Um, right. So, 
you know, kind of get gets back to what I was saying before is like people can't act on their immediate environment. They basically people are always doing the thing that they think is the best. That's kind of like my core assumption right now. So you have to say, like, how did they get to the point where they thought this was a better thing to do than something else? You know, where it's like, you know, it can be like a really noble thing. It can be a really dark criminal thing. Yeah, it's interesting. So that, that's kind of where I'm at these days. Yeah. So we have this uh, segment called Lightning Round Questions. Oh, no. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> so it's real. Are you ready for this? Yeah. I don't remember Lightning yeah, so Round. Is this a new segment? <laughs> it is. It okay, is a new right. segment. So we're just going to ask you five questions and you can just answer them as briefly or whatever as you'd like. So the first question is, when you think of the word success, what comes to mind? Yeah, I, I would say making like a positive impact on things. So um, like I said, I'm I'm kind of trying to reorient my career to some extent because I just feel that a lot of the stuff I've been doing has been kind of like successful in traditional ways in terms of like... Mm-hmm number of publications. And I think a lot of my colleagues would be like, yeah, you've been pretty successful in terms of publishing and stuff. Sure. But, you know, I often at the same time kind of feel that like a lot of the stuff I've been doing has been, you know, not really reaching outside of the ivory tower. And so, mm. you know, so in some, you know, to some extent, I kind of want to get a better sense of that success thing in the terms of like having like a broader impact. Because I was describing that like, it'd be nice to make the world a kinder, gentler, happy fuzzy Absolutely. place where people are more tolerant and understanding and i kind of feel that some of the ideas i've had of, that i've published on of are relevant to those things but they're not reaching out enough so it'd be nice to have a little bit more of like a, a broader success thing in terms of that particular outcome yeah yeah actually this kind of reminds me of like this thing that um a conversation i had with one of cassie's boyfriends at one point like he is very academically minded and he felt like his past uh, girlfriends hadn't been very academically minded and he kind of mm-hmm. missed that. And I just had this conversation with him. It's like, well, you know, maybe these other people leading these lives where they're not publishing in top tier conferences or, you know, journals and stuff, but they're, you know, maybe working as hairstylists or they're working as mechanics and these sorts of things. And, you know, they're these kind mm-hmm. of like ordinary jobs and they're making a positive impact. You don't need like the kind of things that we might consider the highest echelons of success in terms of being like, you know, a top paid CEO or a top publishing academic, like to have a positive impact. It can be more than enough to be like a really good mechanic that makes the people in your community feel better and making people's right. cars work better at a fair price. And, you know, they're raising happy, mm-hmm. well-adjusted kids yeah, and not totally raised agree. and decide that they're so screwed up that they need to turn to drugs and other things. Right. Like if you can do these sorts of things, right. it's a uh, it's a net positive a more, than, more than most people, always, so, yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next question. That wasn't what lightning at all. Are... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what are the biggest factors that contribute to your happiness? Uh, I think just having things going positively in my relationships and friends and that kind of thing. Love that. There, lightning. Yeah, that's me boom. too. <laughs> well, boom. Uh, <laughs> okay, number three, what is your biggest fear? Uh, my biggest fear. Um, mm, yeah, I mean, I think it kind of relates to, uh, personal relationships and not being connected to people. Like I do feel that one part I've been missing in my job is it really is like even more ivory tower than a lot of people. Cause I can just kind of like, you know, it's almost philosophical. I'm just kind of like in my 
in my house, just like, or coffee shops kind of like headphones on and, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and I think also this has something to do with why I was putting my search preferences to anywhere, <laughs> it was, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I think like not having like a tight emotional connections with people, whether it's a significant other, especially, but also like friends and family that I'm close to, um, would be, yeah. you know, so that's, that's a thing I would most fear, I think, is just feeling very alone in that way. So, what do you feel is the most attractive quality in a person? Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of like a positivity, just like, um, you know, an openness to people. And maybe it relates to that paper I was talking about, right? Just kind of like, you know, just being kind of like an inviting, happy person, you know, not, not to the point of like, being naive or whatever, but just kind of like <laughs> delusional. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, just kind of uh, having like a positive energy that you kind of create. And, um, you know, I think I could probably work on that myself to some extent. <laughs> but, oh, you know, it's I definitely something I like and the people that I'm closest <laughs> to. It's like a, a nice thing that attracts me to, you know, some of my best friends and Jamie and other people like that. So, yeah. Okay, so last question. What do you feel is one of your best qualities? Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think in some ways it's kind of the opposite of that, right? So it's like <laughs> I feel um, like to some extent like I'm – I don't really accept ideas academically very immediately. I'm kind of judgy on those things and critical, I think, is mm -hmm. a better term for it, right? So I think that's been kind of the key to success for me in a couple different of my papers is to kind of – you know, I'd be in like classes in grad school and people would be like, okay, here's how to design the personality scale. And I'd be like, you know, why are we doing it that way? Why don't we do it this <laughs> other way that you're saying is taboo? What, what's wrong with that? I don't think this is wrong. Yeah. And I think it'd make me a little bit difficult in classes because I'd be like, I, I just don't think you're right. You have to keep convincing me. And then sometimes they'd convince me and other times, other times they wouldn't. And then I'd write a paper about it and it'd get published. So, you know, I'd... Um, <laughs> You know, so that's I think awesome. in some sense that's been like a secret to my success. And it's also been a little bit of a thing that's created, uh, you know, made my job a little bit more difficult. <laughs> <in some ways. laughs> that's great. Right. I love that. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks so much for interviewing with us and for chatting. Yeah. It's been yeah. so much fun to catch up. <laughs> yeah, good to see you girls. Yeah, Hope to catch again. up more soon. This has been so great. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Seriously. Mm -hmm. Take care. Love Bye. you. Yeah, I love you too. I'll catch you later. <laughs> and now for the update with Dustin and Jamie. Hey! <laughs> hey, Jamie! Oh my gosh. How are you guys? Good, thank you. Good. You guys have met before, right? Yeah, yeah Thanksgiving. So how's married life, you guys? Any different? <laughs> it's been pretty good so far. Uh, yeah, we've been married since August. Yeah, no. When did we first do our interview? Was it June or something? April, I think, on Easter. Yep. How crazy. It's been a long time. Wow. So I hadn't even proposed at that point. Yeah. 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 It's, I definitely have lagged on getting this out. Yeah, pandemic slowed down everything mm -hmm. for me. I've done like so little academic work over the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Jamie? Are you able to work through the pandemic? Um, yeah, well, working from home, I think, majority of the time. Um, and then oh, we okay. were like, in, you know, back uh, full force, even when we shouldn't have been. And then, you know, closed again. So I think we've closed, like, we've been on and off. Like, we're open and then people get sick and then we're closed again. Right? 
Yeah, I think she's had some coworkers or at least their spouses or something mm-hmm. that have been hospitalized. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. And remind me, what do you do, Jamie? Yeah, so I work for a development corporation. So we do mostly like um, some working with NGOs. Oh, okay. So it's a Danish development corporation. And it provides um, wow. funds for uh, Tanzanian NGOs working in the space of human rights, uh, governance issues, and gender equality. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Now that job is taking you around the world, hasn't it? You've worked in Italy, right? And other places, right? So I worked in Italy. Uh, no, I wasn't working in Italy. I was there for a training, I work, like um, more oh. like work, doing a course yeah, related to my job, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Professional awesome. development. Right. So are you guys planning to visit or move back to the U.S.? Do you know? Uh, we don't know. It's all up in the air. Mm-hmm. What we do know is that Jamie's job is, or no, the Danish embassy is just shuttering its operations in Tanzania in mm-hmm. two years. Oh, okay. So something's got to change. <laughs> <laughs> so is that sort of like that chapter's closing and you'll move to a different place? Or how would that work? I mean, we could stay in the same place. Yeah. But, you know, um, I have a grant going on that'll finish up in about two years. I'm pl- applying for a different one. Who knows what will happen with that? And I'll probably keep applying for more grants. And some of those, I think, could have, like, job mobility. And other ones might kind of tie me down to the University of Alabama if I get them. And who knows? So we just kind of have to chat through it. But, um, you know, we're pretty open yeah. to being anywhere. Um, but, you know, we're talking about uh maybe starting a family soon and other things like that and so you know it's just uh how exciting <laughs> uh yeah jamie's interested in enlisting mama help in the form of uh my mom or her mom or other you know other family support so that could kind of drive us to yeah. stay in tanzania or stay somewhere in you know in the states or something like that um but you know always open at least to other places so um, you know, whether it's Europe yeah. or mm-hmm. who knows where. So lots of options. Jamie yeah. has like an interest in, uh, Vietnamese food. So who knows? Maybe we could just be in, <laughs> exactly. maybe we could be in Ho Chi Minh City in two years. Oh my God. Who knows? So keeping the options open. That's so great that you guys are both flexible. Cause that's like my dream is to be able to have a job that's, I could go anywhere <laughs> or work from home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a little taxing at times because, you know, like, um, you know, right now I'm working with like these eight to 11 hour time differences with collaborators. And so, oh. so that's been kind of an obnoxious thing is that like often people don't want to talk before nine in the morning. And often for me, that means like I can't talk to them until five in the evening, which is when Jamie just got home. And so, you know, she wants to do something yeah. together. <laughs> It's like, oh my gosh, wants to do things together. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's got to be frustrating. The time difference. Just even a couple hours is hard. It's kind of just like the worst way it could be. Because if it was like nine hours the other way, that'd be better. If it was like 12 hours, that'd be better. So nine hours is just that sweet Mm -hmm. spot of terribleness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, like generally working remotely would be great. But that time difference is the problem for me. So So are you guys on your honeymoon right now or where are you guys at? Yeah, we're on the honeymoon. This is day one. So I thought it'd be a good time to call because mom wanted us to do uh, sunrise. And so we're like, you know what? We'll just knock them both out the same morning. Where are you guys honeymooning? Uh, Well, we were going to do Mauritius, but... um, we think we got positive COVID tests. 
Oh. No, we didn't get a positive COVID test. That's the problem. Oh. But they tell you in other ways. They just tell you to test back in seven days. Oh, so you're going to have to like, yeah, quarantine and then t- do it again type of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. They said, we can't give you a test at this time. Come back in seven days, which is their way of saying you have COVID. So. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so you guys in Dar es Salaam? We were there, yeah. And this happened while mom and um the girls were still here so we were supposed to leave before they did but um that changed the plan so we ended up having christmas in dar instead of christmas in mauritius which Aww. rhyme as well but you know it's still good yeah so what are some of the things you guys are going to do on your honeymoon um we haven't really you know they, they gave us like a little schedule of yeah. events and stuff like that but we haven't even looked at it yet so yeah. we just got here yesterday oh cool so it's like a planned set thing it's not going to be like the excursions and stuff aren't planned, that kind of thing. So it won't be like, you know, scuba or um, snorkeling and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and trips to nearby places. It, they just kind of have like a list of like what the menus are going to be like and live entertainment. So mm-hmm. they, I think they're probably going to have like live bands every evening for the rest of the time because it's close <laughs> to New Year's. Um, they had one last night at least, ah! that kind of thing, which was pretty nice. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty nice place. It's basically like... We're doing like the all-inclusive thing, so it's going to be, you know, we don't have to worry about, you know, we'll just be staying on the resort and <laughs> eating whatever food they bring to us, and it's like buffets every meal, and, uh, um, you know, the vegan, or the cook has been made aware of mm-hmm. Jamie's veganness, so mm-hmm. he said that he's like holding the butter on dishes <laughs> they might normally put some butter into, um, replace it with whatever it needs to replace it with, and so... She'll have a decent number of options, so it seems like they're pretty accommodating with that. And Awesome. Yeah, so they had a lot of options for her last night, and hopefully that'll just keep being the case. So mm-hmm. we'll see. That's awesome. Yeah. Have you always been vegan? Were you, like, raised vegan? Um, yeah, so basically full vegan, like, from two years ago, but, like, was uh, maybe pescatarian, I think, most of my life. Vegetarian, some of it, but, yeah. Yeah. So it was a non-meat eater, really. Yeah. Non-dairy. I just didn't like it from when I was a child. So. What was your motivation to become vegan? Um, well, for now, um, motivation around like more environmental, animal rights. Yeah. More climate. That's huge. I'm very plant-based. Oh. I'm not like strict on anything. I need to be better. But definitely environment and animal rights has been a huge motivator. But also health. I think... I feel better on plant-based. She's interested in meeting Uncle Uncle Terry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but even Jerry is a bit plant-based as well, I think. Uh, Leaning towards that, I think. She can do it, but she appreciates a good hunk of meat sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> She'll, she can do it. So that's the thing that... And Aunt Linda, I've heard as well, is more maybe? plant-based. Yeah. Cassie was telling me. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but that could be true. It's definitely getting easier to be vegan because, I, I mean, there's so many options now. I was actually talking to your mom tonight about, like, the best vegan chicken nuggets. Jerka brought a big thing of, like, frozen chicken nuggets when she came in. Oh, really? We hadn't had those before, yeah. at least here, so that opened up a whole new world of mm-hmm. tasty dinner treats. We were basically just making, like, you know, a little... Uh, vegan kind of like chicken and cabbage tacos and burritos for a couple days so yeah 
That's pretty. That sounds so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Chicken with that little oh, apostrophe uh, n kind of thing they do. That kind chicken. of chicken. Chicken. <laughs> Cut the e yo. Place it with apostrophe. <laughs> Official sponsor of the X Games. Yo yo yo. Boom boom boom. <laughs> You guys can't see this, but he's zooming in. Oh, you know Dustin's woo with the <laughs> extreme zoom in on the camera. Woo! Yeah, I try to pace it. Like I've overused it a bit. Oh, I did that goodness. with another friend of mine once, and she was like, "Stop!" <laughs> just, just stop. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay. Well, Jamie appreciates it, or at least she doesn't complain about it. Oh, so. <laughs> Well, awesome. You guys have been so great. I loved kind of catching up and learning more about you, Jamie. And Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and now for a piece of the Grandpa Interviews. Well, we had a drunk for Dad. Yeah. And we couldn't depend on him for nothing. He was just like a big kid. And did he ever work? Yeah, he worked at times. But then he went on a drunk and drank it all up. We one time, just to show you, he was a very smart guy. The liquor just wiped him out. We was driving down the road, the road past the potato field. People out there picking potatoes and putting them on the truck. He said, I got an idea. And he wheeled into the potato yard and said, where's Jack? He knew Jack Robinson on the, the potato field. He says, Jack, I want to make a deal with you. And Jack was kind of a meek little... Funny little guy. He said, what is it, Herman? He said, I want to take your potatoes, sack them up, weigh them, 100 pounds, sew them up, and let me take your truck, and I'll go peddling potatoes. I'll use your truck, your labor, and then I'll go sell them. And I'll give you your share of the money, you know. Yeah, gosh, this is a good idea, so... He got the, all the kids together and just, they picked potatoes and they got, they got the old scales he used to have. They set flat and one thing stand up. Well, he had that, so he brought that out of the field. He weighed all the sacks, then we sewed them up, put them on the truck, and then we went over to Price and Helper to the coal mines. It was a pretty good trip. And we sold, we never had, you'd have those company houses that they lived in. It's like Rosen just bored out like, like tough sheds kind of. And we'd go up there and everyone we'd knock on, they bought a sack of potatoes. We were too dang little. It took two of us to pack that 100 pound sack up, the, up on our front porch. You know. We'd put it on our front porch and that was it. Probably sold a dollar for 100 pounds or something. That's what I bet we did, I don't know. We sold every bit of those. And then dad took it and drank it up. Except what we owe Jack Robinson. What was his share? I don't recall, probably 50% or, I don't know. But he was happy with it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now get back to work, you bunch of Genefes. Let's see what our sunset looks like. We get, All right. we get beautiful sunsets. This might be one of those special days.